Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. All right, welcome to City Church. How you doing? I'm feeling queasy this morning, so I got a bucket with me. That's a joke. I'm totally fine. I'm so glad you guys are here. My name is Drake. It's an honor to have you joining with us in person and online. Thank you for being here, and welcome to week two of Silence and Solitude, and I hope that has been encouraging for you. If you missed last week's message, you can check it out on our YouTube channel, on our podcast. It was formative for the three-week series that we're in, so I highly recommend that you go back and pick it up as we kind of compound over the next couple of weeks. If you're a guest with us, we are so very grateful that you chose to join us today. And Fitz, thanks for giving our welcome. Um, if you didn't get a gift on the way in, then we'd, ha- we'd be happy to get you one on the way out. There's also connection cards in the seat backs, like you said. But that's how we do all forms of communication here. And so any next steps, any questions, any decisions, all of that can be done through that connection card, or if you're joining us online, you can use the digital version of that as well. Now, before we get into the service, I have a couple of updates for you. We've been in the middle of our Here for Good campaign, and this is an effort toward permanence here in Boulder. So City Church is turning three years old in March. Come on, put your hands together. That's crazy. Three years old in March. We made it through a pandemic, and then we made it through a post-pandemic, which is really just the pandemic extended, right? So we're still here Still kicking, loving it, and we're going to roll and celebrate in March our three-year anniversary, but a part of our effort has been to own the property that we've been meeting in since we launched in 2019. And so there are booklets in the seatbacks in front of you or in the lobby. To date, we have raised a little over $407,000 toward this initiative. So put your hands together for your generosity, for the generosity of so many partners believing in us, and, and God's not done yet, so we're so excited to see how these things continue to come about um, but in the process, I just wanted to also celebrate that uh, all of the, the monies that came in between uh, September when we started this campaign and the end of December, 10% of that we said, hey, even in the effort of uh, purchasing a building and, and making our, our effort at this, we're still an outwardly focused church. This is still not about us. A building is only a tool and a resource to serve our community. And so we said on the front end, we're going to give 10% of everything that comes in between September and December back towards Boulder, the West, and the world. And so I have the privilege of standing in front of you and catching you up to date that as of today, we get to give back to our city, to the West, and to the world $7,800. Put your hands together for your generosity. Again, you don't just give to a church, you give through a church. And I'm so grateful for the faithfulness and the trust and seeing what God is doing. And and we talked about it last week a little bit, but this is going to be going to uh, um, relief efforts toward the fire. It's going to be going toward missions and church planting here in Boulder. It's going to be going into uh, missions and church planting around the world. We're doing uh, stuff in Thailand and in the Philippines and uh, in India. And so all of that is because of your radical generosity. And so I just want to say thank you so much for being a part of that. And if you're new or you want to know more about it, those booklets, or uh, we have a webpage dedicated completely to it on our homepage. Um, But with that... um, If you have the privilege of walking down the hallway, um, I promise we're not hoarders here, uh, but there's a bunch of supplies out in the hallway because uh, City Church is beginning to function as a distribution center for relief efforts toward 
fire, the, the Marshall Fire Relief and things like that. And so uh, we're kind of uniquely positioned with a lot of national partners to be able to serve well. And we're really grateful and excited about that. And the pieces are kind of slow. And so many people are asking, hey, how can we help? How can, how can we get plugged in? And just so you know, those things are coming sooner than later. And in talking to a lot of uh, uh, the, the coaches and the people involved in these efforts. Um, there's an immediate game that's really, really helpful right now happening all over our city, and we're so grateful. Uh, but they said what, what, what's really going to be needed is the long game where the church stays and all the other organizations leave. And so I just want you to know, not, not because they, they, they have an intention of abandoning, right? That's not it. It's just what they can offer on the front end of relief and what the church locally has to offer in the long game. And so I want you to know, first of all, that I'm grateful that we have a church in and for the city, that we are a church here for good, and that there's going to be plenty of opportunities in the near future for us to put our hands to practical work as well as emotional and spiritual uh, help and support for our community. And so um, if you or anybody you know is in need of resources, housing, uh, um, water, blankets, I mean, you name it, we have tons of partners working with us. There's these little papers in the lobby um, that you can grab. This is just, it's got a QR code that sends people to a direct link to get relief and aid. And so if you know somebody or if you're in local businesses that are, are, are helping a lot of people, um, this takes them to uh, housing resources, it takes it to practical resources. We just bought $4,000 worth of air purifiers that are going out to a, to a local community that's only like 20 houses. And so there's a lot of really cool stuff happening. So feel free to grab these and just distribute them wherever is needed. Also on our homepage, we have an immediate landing page right there on the homepage for you to be able to communicate and give out those resources as well. So again, we, we are the church, we exist for the world. And so it's not what happens on a Sunday morning that necessarily makes a difference, but it's you in the city where, where you live, work and play, where God has placed you that's gonna make the biggest impact. Just we want you to make sure that you have the resources necessary to be able to help when those things arise. You guys with me on the same page? If you're online, yeah, put your hands together for God's favor and activity. It really is a joy um, that God would trust us. And, and I've been praying all week. I'm like, look, God, we're leveraging our facility and our property for good for our city. And so there's reason for us to continue uh, in, in this space. Now, today we're going to be continuing our series in silence and solitude. And uh, if you weren't here last week, I, I gave you just a very simple big idea that a lot of New Year's stuff maybe comes your way or maybe because of the fire you haven't even had time to like think about it, just kind of showing up in the new year and it snuck up on you. But Odds are it'll come at you at some point of this kind of new year effort of just trying to evaluate. I hope that you do that. I hope that you take the moment and the time to reflect on the last year, to, to anticipate, to hope, to dream into the new year. But my encouragement for us last week was before you and I pick up anything, that we put everything down. And that's where the, the discipline of silence and solitude gives us space to get alone with ourselves and with God and ask the big questions to make sure that when we come back that we're picking up the right things. Because uh, quite frankly, there's more in front of us than any one of us can do. Uh, but you are a gift. You are gifted. You're strategically placed where you live, work, and play in your relationships with the level, level of influence. Everything about your life, God's hand is on. You and I have to tune our hearts and our minds to a space where we can respond appropriately. And the good news is God is not hiding. He's, he, he's not playing hide and seek <laughs> with our hearts and our minds. And so we just have to be able to get quiet enough to listen. Today we're going to be in a passage in 1 Kings 19, if you want to turn there. Um, and, and one of the ways that we see God show up is in a whisper. And I heard Craig Rochelle say it this way. He said that the reason that God whispers is because he's close. And I found that incredibly comforting and profound. So before we get into it, I want to, I want to just kind of kick it off with a clip from um, Conan and uh, this guy named Louis C.K. And this is not... Um, 
you know, a, a conf- just a, an affirmation of anybody's lifestyle or a promotion of the Conan show, nothing, nothing like that. This is just a, a moment for us to take some genuine evaluation of something that's kind of comical, but actually true about our lives. And so enjoy this video and then we're going to kick it off, okay? The thing is, I, you need to build an ability to just be yourself and not be doing something. That's what the phones yes. are taking away, yes. is the ability to just sit there like this. That's being a person. Right? Yes. No one can, they gotta, uh, you gotta check. Because, there, you know, underneath everything in your life, there's that thing, that empty, forever empty. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> that, yes. Yes. Yes, I, yes. Yes, Just I know that, what you're that talking knowledge about. knowledge that it's all for nothing and you're alone. You know, it's down there. <laughs> and sometimes when things clear away, you're not watching it, you're in your car and you start going, oh no, here it comes. <laughs> that I am alone, like it starts to visit on you. You know, just the sadness. Yes. Life is tremendously sad just by, you know, being in it. And so you're driving and then you go, uh, that's why we text and drive. I look around, pretty much 100% of people driving are texting. Yes. And they're killing, everybody's murdering each other with their cars. Yes. But people are willing to risk taking a life and ruining their own because they don't want to be alone for a second because it's so hard. I was in my car one time and a Bruce Springsteen song comes on, and it made me really sad. It's like Jungle, what was the one? Jungle song? Jungle Land. Jungle, this one where he goes, Hurry! And he sounds far away. You know, it's like, that's, 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 half, that's half of them. Yeah, that's a lot of them. And I heard it, and it gave me kind of like a fall back to school depression feeling. It made me really sad. Yeah. And I go, okay, I'm getting sad. I've got to get the phone and write hi to like 50 people. <laughs> anyway, I started to get that sad feeling. and I was reaching for the phone. And then I said, you know what? Don't. Just be sad. Just let the sadness mm-hmm. stand in the way of it and let it hit you like a truck. <laughs> and I let it come and Bruce, and I just started to feel, oh, my God. And I pulled over and I just cried. I cried so much. And, I, and it was beautiful. It was like this beautiful, it's just this sadness is poetic. You're, you're lucky to live sad moments. And then I had happy feelings because because when you let yourself feel sad, yes. your body has like antibodies. It has happiness that comes. Rushing in. Rushing in to meet the sadness. So you're, I was grateful to feel sad. And then I met it with true, profound happiness. It was such a trip, you know, and the thing is, because we don't want that first bit of sad, you never feel completely sad or completely happy. You right. just feel kind of satisfied with your product. Yes. And then you die. <laughs> so that's why I don't want to get a phone for my kids. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> All right, all right. So uh, uh, the whole point of that was, was they asked, hey, why, why won't you let your kids have phones? And um, I mean, it, it's too good to sit in this and just observe the, the space that we all know and are familiar with. And there's two key ideas that I just want to show you kind of as we get into the silence and solitude practice. Two key ideas uh, from Louis there. And number one, it's this. As humans, we feel. And not all of those emotions are pleasant. Now, I don't know what you are, you know, your personality type and your makeup. I'm, I'm an eight on the Enneagram and I don't, me and feelings don't get along. Like my wife will tell you, like, you know, I've got the emotional capacity of a teaspoon. Like, I avoid them with everything in me. I don't like to feel. Feeling is not fun. And, and, and uh, I kind of like that middle ground. And, uh, you know, he talks about that forever empty, <laughs> right? And, of course, he's like, you know, there's no hope. And if you're a follower of Jesus, obviously, we, we know that our lives are not for nothing. But there's this space that we wrestle with on the inside, this, 
these feelings that sometimes we try to avoid. And the second thing I think he's getting at in this phone conversation is that the human condition is bent on doing everything it can to avoid emotional pain. And that leads us into this practice of silence and solitude. That, that one of the reasons we avoid it, one of the reasons that we're quick to put it down, one of the reasons that we just kind of let it fall off the table uh, is because it creates a space where we have to deal with what's going on inside of us. And you and I live in this culture of accompl- accomplishment and accumulation, and, and we're running 90 miles an hour even at the beginning of a new year. And so we're trying to create space to say, hey, h- how, do we, how do we not only step back in order to evaluate our lives, but then what do we do when we get there? So this definition that I gave you last week of silence and solitude is kind of our functioning definition over the next couple of weeks. And that is intentional time in the quiet to be alone with ourselves and God. And so I don't know if you had the privilege, we sent out these practices last week. And again, we've said it from the beginning, all of this is invitational, none of this is obligation. This is an invitational practice, things that we're putting our hands to. You can't fail at this, it's just trying over and over again and finding out what works for you in these rhythms. But last week we sent out practices via email and our social media platform. If you missed them, you can go back and get them. We're gonna do the same thing again for you this week. So I highly recommend to get the most out of this. It is taking what we talk about on the weekend and then practicing it on a daily basis. And so what, what, what tends to happen is as you and I begin to try to withdraw, to be quiet, to quiet our minds, our souls, to put away the phone, to stop the noise external and internal like we talked about last week, then sometimes emotions start to show up. And, and one of the leaders that I follow, he said that most leaders intentionally resist slowing down. They love a busy life. They love a full, distracted, can't slow down life because they're terrified of what they will have to deal with when they actually do slow down on the inside. And so I want you to think about your life as, as like you know, a bucket and you and I are constantly pouring ourselves out into the world around us, into our jobs, into our families, into relationships. Um, sometimes it's uh, uh, really good stuff coming out, and sometimes it's less than good stuff. Um, and sometimes when you bump me, the stuff that comes out of my bucket's not so pretty. And sometimes when you bump me, it looks a lot more like Jesus. And I'd like to say that it was more one than the other, but I, I don't know that I could even guarantee that, right? So I just want you to evaluate, like, you know, what's in your bucket? And do you want to look in your bucket? I'm kind of scared of my bucket, if we're being honest. Especially that stuff at the bottom that kind of has a residue, you know, that's been sticking around for a minute. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to deal with that. And so today we're going to look at what's in our bucket. But Ruth Haley Barton calls, calls this tension that we live in, the push-pull phenomenon in our relationship with God. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I recognize you could be coming in on all kinds of different spaces on your spiritual journey. I want you to know, first of all, you love, safe, and welcome here at City Church, and that, that this is an invitational practice of life with Jesus. It's first made available because of what Jesus did for us in our place for our sin on the cross by, by dying, being buried, and rising again. But I hope that you'll just be able to sit and evaluate the invitation that this is not religion, this is not obligation, this is relationship, this is opportunity, this is the love of God working in and through our lives. But Ruth Haley Barton talks about the push-pull phenomenon that, that something inside of us is drawn to God, right? That just something, every now and then, and sometimes we can quiet it down, but every now and then there's just like this hunger inside. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, there's like something that every now and then kind of brings us back to 
the idea or wrestling with it. And, and if you're a follower of Jesus, there's something that kind of draws it. Like we kind of hunger for that, don't we? Like, man, I want to be close to God. I want to hear his voice. I, I want to be intimately in a relationship with him. But then simultaneously, we're pulled away from him by both external forces and, and also this internal thing of like, there's this weird push-pull that we find ourselves in. And, and then the question I want to wrestle with today, I presented the basic practice of silence and solitude last week, but when we are faced with the pull away, my question for you and I would be, why do we say yes to that? Like, why, why do we say yes to the pull away? Well, what in us just, just makes us kind of want to do that? Because last week we talked, it could be distraction. Is it simply that? Is, it, is that all that it is? Is we're just so busy and distracted that we naturally get pulled away? Or is it possible that there's something deeper going on in, on the inside of our souls that, that, that it's not just addiction and distraction that keeps us from God, but maybe there's something inside of us that's kind of scared that we're scared to feel things like pain and fear and doubt and hurt. I know I am. I avoid those things like the plague, right? Maybe we're even just scared to sit down with God because we might realize like in that space how little relationship there actually is to, to cultivate in that moment. You know, have you ever like spent time with somebody in a group that you really enjoy? You know what I mean? Like, like, like me, you know, like you all love me and I'm just kidding. But you know, you're like hanging out with somebody like in a group and you just like really enjoy those people and then you got you the chance to be alone with that person and it was super weird. You ever been there? Where like all of a sudden like being alone with them and then being with them in a group was like totally different things. You're like, okay, I enjoyed you over here, but now it's just weird. But, but sometimes I, I, I think we, we, I found myself in that space. I'm probably that to more people than, than I'd like to admit. But the reality is I think sometimes we, we, we will get alone with somebody and because there's not a relationship built, like, like we kind of enjoy them in a public space, but because there's not like a depth of relationship, you know, you kind of sit down and like have nothing to talk about, <laughs> you know, because there's just not any d- depth of connection. And I think sometimes our relationship with God can, can feel like that. Like, oh yeah, I love the church. I love God's activity. I love making a difference in the world around. Like I love all the activity and I love God in this space. But then when I get alone with just, me and God, I mean, it's kind of awkward. Like we don't have the, you know, like, like that relationship hasn't been cultivated. And so today we're going to talk about navigating life under the surface. And um, I'm not an expert. In, I'm just going to let you know, like I'm on this journey with you. Uh, we have tons of incredible resources. We'd love to point uh, your direction. We have an entire page on our website called Spiritual Growth that you can go to. Tons of helpful resources toward this practice specifically. One of the books we talk about often is Emotion- Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scatzero. And it's a really, really good book. But one of the things he, he depicts is like your life as an iceberg. And you all know the, the, the picture of, of an iceberg that, you know, you can see what's on the surface, but, but what's under the, underneath is a lot bigger and a lot more dense. And there's a lot more going on under the surface with an iceberg. And he said, that, that's what our, our lives are like. You and I are not just brains on, on sticks, you know what I mean? Like we're whole people with whole lives and whole bodies and there's, there's all of us together working. And he's like, hey, we gotta deal with not just what's on the surface, but what's inside. And so today, we're gonna look at this guy named Elijah in 1 Kings 19. And he's gonna give us a map, if you will, on how to navigate life under the surface. So as we begin to pull away, we get along with God on a consistent basis and we build that discipline, there's gonna be things to navigate through. So you might not know this. I'm going to give you just a little bit of historical background. He's a Hebrew prophet in the ninth century. Um, there are, are 12 tribes, uh, kind of God's people, if you will. And he is sent to the northern 10, which are like people that have just totally abandoned God. And so his job is not an easy one. You don't want his job. Um, but he's also kind of a big deal. Like as we look at Elijah today uh, in, in 18, if you go back and read it yourself in 1 Kings 18, 
I mean, he's kind of at the pinnacle of his, of his career. Uh, he prayed, and it stopped raining for three years. He comes face-to-face with some foreign uh, prophets of, of a false god, and, and uh, there's this big showdown on top of Mount Carmel. And uh, uh, you can go read it for yourself. Super cool. You know, the, the prophets try all day to get, you know, this false god to respond, Baal, and nothing happens. And then Elijah kind of shows off and dumps water all over the, the offering they're going to give, and then God sends fire from heaven. I mean, it's just a big moment. In fact, Elijah is referenced four times in the New Testament as an example of our faith and someone to look toward as, as someone to learn from. And so Elijah is a really, really big deal. And what we're going to look at in 1 Kings 19 is him coming off the pinnacle of his really, really awesome career. And then he's going to hit a, he's going to get hit with a truck like, like, like Louis was talking about, right? And so 1 Kings 19, let me show you. We're going to walk through it together and then we're going to break it down. So uh, um, the, the Ahab and Jezebel are the rulers at the time. Um, and uh, so they heard what happened, that, that all the prophets um, of their false god are dead, and all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel, which is just a, a pretty mean lady, okay, she's, she's got, she got some, some stuff going on. And so she sends a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me, and more also, if I don't make your life as the life of, of them by this time tomorrow, right? That's a, that's a death threat, right? She's like, all, all the dead guys want to make you just like them. And so then what happens? Elijah, he was afraid. So he's seen the miraculous. He's seen God do amazing things. And in this moment, he's afraid. He, he arises and runs for his life and comes to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he leaves his servant there. So I want you to see, okay, he's in, on a high and then he hits a low. You ever go there? you just on a high and all of a sudden one bad text, one bad email, one comment, one little situation, and all of a sudden you're at a low again, right? Just me and Elijah or anybody else in the room, right? We have these moments that all of a sudden we can just go from high to low and, and he is in just panic mode. And watch what happens in verse, well, at the end he, he goes to the Ramos and then in verse four, he himself goes a day's journey into the wilderness. We talked about last week, this, the wilderness that Jesus would always withdraw into. The Greek word was a Ramos, the deserted place. And so we see Elijah doing the same thing. He leaves his servant. He goes by himself a day's journey into the wilderness. He sits down under a broom tree and he asks that he might die. You ever been there? I, I, mean, I mean, this could be, you know, this is a little bit comical and at times it can be absolutely real life. That, that, that life is so heavy and so hard that, that it's, it's worth giving up. And, and he says, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life. I am no better than my father's. Right? He basically writes a suicide note. He is so emotionally unstable, so out of sync right now. He went from prayer warrior, calling down rain from heaven, fire from heaven, I mean, amazing things, to now he is sitting under a tree, writing a suicide note, wanting his life to be over. And he lays down and he sleeps under a broom. You ever just passed out? from exhaustion, just emotionally just done. He passes out and behold, an angel touches him, says to him, arise and eat. And two different times, an angel shows up, tells him to eat and drink, and then he goes back to sleep. So two different times we see, we see this kind of unique little, I just want you to see Elijah goes into the wilderness and there's very little like prayer and, and Bible going on, right? He's not at the pinnacle of this silence and solitude. This is a really rough spot for him. And watch what happens in verse eight. It goes on, he says, he, he, he gets up, and after he's eat, ate and drank, he, he went to, in the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. This is also another name for Mount Sinai, you know, a pretty famous mountain where, like, you know, God shows up, Ten Commandments, Moses. I mean, this is a big place of encounter and re- revelation for God. So I want you to see he's running for his life from Jezebel, but he's also running to a place known for the presence of God. And so I want you to see, like, there's this desperation inside of Elijah with an, for an encounter with God, He's so exhausted that he, he sleeps for two days. 
gets enough strength, and he, then he takes 40 days to make this journey, which we'll talk about in a second. And in verse 9, watch this. When he came to a cave and lodged in it, God shows up and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I want you to sit in that for a sec. Because the Hebrew could be better translated. Where are you? Where are you at? Like, like not, not physically, but where are you? Where, where are you at a soul level? Where are you at a person level? Where are you right now? You ever had that space where your soul and your body haven't caught up and you're like, you're not really sure? Think about it today. I mean, like, I don't know how you showed up today, but how would you answer that question? Where are you? Where you at? And in verse 10, look at this. Elijah just emotionally vomits. <laughs> he says, I've been, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I am the only one left, and they're trying to kill me. He just vents to God, gets just kind of, I'm the only one. And then verse 11, look what happens. God says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it into pieces, and the rocks, and, and the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And he goes on in verse 12, and he says, after the earthquake, there was a fire, but, but the Lord wasn't even in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. He went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and behold, there came a voice. The very same question. What are you doing here? Where are you? And next week, we're going to split this into two weeks, but next week we'll look at the rest of the story where God responds after this. He says, hey, actually, you're not alone. I've got 7,000 other people who are committed to me. I've got all these things working in place. I've got you covered. I got this. We're going to see Elijah leave this place in transformation, but today I'm going to look at a pattern. So it's a seven-stage pattern, if you're taking notes, in the life of Elijah. We see this in the life of Jesus. You're going to see this in your daily, weekly, Sabbath rhythms, wherever you find yourself, a seven-stage pattern. And again, this is a pattern, not a formula. This is not things you do in order to produce a result. This is things that you and I walk through when we're pressing into silence and solitude, and we see this in Elijah, resting, waiting, feeling, naming, hearing. That's the part we want to rush to, right? We want to hear from God. I want, to, I want to skip one through four and go straight to that. That's my goal. Verse six, being transformed. I'm down with that too, as long as it doesn't hurt. <laughs> and then number seven, re-entering, coming out of that space. So when it comes to the experience of silence and solitude, we can see this pattern. I'm just going to invite you into it this morning with the time that we have left, okay? So number one, resting, okay? We see this in the, in the story that we just looked at. So he's so exhausted that he shows up and has one depressing prayer and passes out, right? You guys saw that. And, and this guy knew how to pray, right? It's not like he didn't know how. I mean, just, you know, a chapter before this, he, he was praying down rain back in from three years of drought. And so an angel shows up, and all that's happening is eat and sleep, rest, repeat. <laughs> like, eat, sleep, hydrate, repeat. That's all that's happening. And, and I, I'm just asking you, have you ever, like, tried to show up in your time with God? You try to pray, you try to read your Bible, you try to hear from God, and you're so exhausted you fall asleep? Right? I got some like drool marks on my Bible, right? Trying to get it on osmosis style. It didn't work, um, right? Or, or, or like you're such an emotional train wreck by the time you get quiet with God that you just, there's so much noise you can't hear anything. You ever been there? That's what's happening. 
And so many of us live with this low-grade fatigue and exhaustion. It's a permeation in our culture. If you're a mom or a dad, you know exactly what we're talking about. You might be in school, in grad school, just drowning under the pressure. You're working a full-time job, and, and it's just killing you, or your social life, you're just trying to keep up, or you got that appendage called a smartphone that follows you around everywhere, right? And you and I just have this low-grade fatigue that we live with, and, and the challenge is that we try to tack on a discipline as if it's gonna be a remedy for what's going on on the inside of our bucket. But the reality is you and I can't separate our spiritual lives from our emotional lives. Peter Scatzero says it this way, it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. How many of you, you know, you're sick with the flu and then that's the space where you're just like pressing into deep spiritual discipline, right? Right, even if you want to, like you just can't, right? You're physically done. Or like you get to the end of a really hard work week and it's a Friday and you get off and you're like, man, the first thing I want to do is fast and pray all weekend, right? No, you're like, I need to sit down, <laughs> right? And, and we have this overtired, exhausted life where we don't even have the energy to do life-giving things, you know what I'm talking about? We have this escapist behavior that we press into because we, we don't have time to do the right things and the life-giving things. So we just kind of turn to what's easy. We, we have an excess of all kinds of stuff, all these hobbies and binging and, and whatever it is to kind of take the edge off. John Mark Comer says it this way, one of the greatest dangers to following Jesus is the exhaustion that comes from an over-busy life. I'm gonna invite Daniel to come, and as he comes, I just want you to sit in this space. What's the invitation here? For silence and solitude, it's also an invitation to take a nap, <laughs> to unplug and put your phone in a timeout. Right, we talk about the rhythms of Sabbath very often. So, so my family and I, we, we Sabbath on Friday going into Saturday. Friday night, 6 p.m., Saturday to 6 p.m. And what's really, really helpful is by the time we get to Friday, I just want you to know, for me personally, I don't have the energy Friday night at 6 o'clock to have deep spiritual time with God. I rest and I sleep and I wake up on Saturday morning having kind of like unplugged for a few hours and by the time I get up, I'm, I'm in a space of being able to be quiet and sit still and listen. So he asked the question, where are you? Are you good tired or are you dangerous tired? This is the first one. Do we need more prayer? Do we need more Bible and time with God? Yeah, absolutely. But you gotta rest. Because if you and I can't show up and be present with ourselves and God, we can't make any traction in progress. We gotta let our souls catch up to our bodies. And so the first thing is evaluating, right? Put everything down before you pick anything up. The second thing is called waiting. He takes a 40-day journey, right? A 40-day journey, which was about 6.3 miles, so, so a, a day, meaning, meaning he was going really, really slow on the way to Mount Horeb. He could have made it in two weeks, but he took 40 days. We see Jesus go in the wilderness for 40 days, and it was quiet. The entire journey, 40 days, God doesn't say a word as Elijah makes this journey, but there's motion toward God. You, you see it, right? There's an intention. He's, he's putting in the work and heading that direction. And the second thing we see in, in the life of Elijah is that seeking God takes time. That we're sending out these practices and we're saying, hey, 15 minutes is a good daily thing, but we're all saying you might, you might also need some like space. That sometimes God can do more work in a few hours of silence and solitude than he can do in 15 minutes. Seth and I, one of our staff members, we, we were about to roll out on Friday night. We, we were booking a room at an abbey in the mountains in northern Colorado. Going to go hang out with a bunch of nuns. It was going to be sweet. We were, we were afraid to go into silence and solitude to, you know, alone. So we decided we're going to go silence and solitude together, but not together, you know? 
<laughs> we're like, it's intimidating, so we're going to go together, but not together. Yeah. And, and so we did that, and then the nuns were like, hey, we all have COVID, so you can't come. And we're like, oh, bummer. So it's on my, it's on my list to go for real into the mountains and, and take some time. But the reality is that there's some things that God can do in, in, in an extended period, whether two hours, four hours a day of just waiting. This, the, the next thing we see in Elijah is feeling. When God finally speaks, he says, what are you doing here? Where, where are you at? And I, Elijah just kind of lets it all come out, right? All of a sudden, his prayer is now, it's not a suicide note, it's articulate. But, but you notice when he talks, it's not, he's still not in a good place. He, he's still very much so stuck. And he's just getting it all out. He just sits there, he's just honest with God and with himself about what's going on on the inside. He takes a real look in the bucket and says, here it is. And I don't know, I don't know if you've ever had the space to just be honest about what's going on on the inside. Right? One, of the, one of the best things that you can do is stand before God and say, God, I don't even want to be here. I'm showing up today because I know I need you. Something inside me wants you, but there's a big part of me that doesn't even want to sit still right now. Elijah has the courage to feel it all. And he just lets it hit him like a truck. And the last thing that he does is he begins to name it. He repeats that same phrase twice. And Peter Scatzero talks about this process of identifying soul care. He says that we tame our feelings by naming our feelings. This is really hard work for me to sit down with a journal, to be quiet, to say, I'm feeling this, and then to ask the question, why am I feeling this? And so Elijah says it again, right after God says the second time, where are you? He says the exact same thing. I'm still here, God. I got all this in my bucket. I'm the only one left. I don't want to do this anymore. I didn't sign up for a life like this, of failure and frustration and someone trying to kill me. And the question is, how hard is it, is it for you and I to be honest about what's going on on the inside? So there's stuff that we need to deal with. And, and here's the deal, guys. It, it's, it's in your bucket whether or not we want to deal with it or not. The question is, if we, if we don't deal with it, what happens? And the reality is, it's going to start to leak out of our bucket all over the people around us. <laughs> it happens to my kids, and it happens to my wife. And I've been asking, the question, why am I so impatient? Where does that anger come from why is that in me i don't want to i don't want to think about it and talk about it and press into it so the question is is, is there a safe place to deal with all the stuff in our bucket and the answer is yes because god is not something that that we run to it's someone that we run to and he's the safe space for you and i and so if you're like me, you want to jump into silence and solitude. And you want to go straight to the hearing part. Skip all the other stuff. But the reality is, this is a process and a journey. The best part of following Jesus is Jesus. And that's the goal here, of cultivating a relationship with him. And so, so listen, I don't know what's in your bucket. I don't know how you walked in. Maybe your bucket's full of all the right things and you're just amazing. And listen, when we sing these next couple of songs in a minute, then just sing loud. And be grateful that your bucket's full of all the right things. But if you're like me and you're like Elijah, maybe you got some stuff in your bucket that you, you'd like to deal with and, and get rid of and replace and fill up with the right stuff. And, you know, maybe this week has been just an absolute hell for you. Maybe you're coming in at the lowest low. Maybe there's been some points of just wanting to give up. And, and the answer is do not give up, but press in wherever you are. Because there's a God who loves you. And he'll meet you in that pain. He'll meet you in that honesty. 
And then from there, we can find transformation. So here's the question I want you to ask yourself today. What are you doing here? What are you doing here, Drake? Where are you at, Drake? What's going on? our time together, I'm going to give you a quote from Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher and theologian. He says that all the unhappiness of men arises from one single fact, that they cannot stay quietly in their own room. That we avoid it, and it just keeps following us. But on the other side, of sitting with God and dealing with what's going on on the inside is freedom and joy and healing and peace, truth from God's word, encouragement and power from his spirit, and the power that you and I truly need to love our neighbors well, to love those closest to us well. It's found in that space. And so a couple of just quick things for you is is as we press into the practice this week, I, I told you last week, but know your personality season and stage of life. If you're a mom with two babies, this looks way different than if you're a single person in college. Know your season and stage of life. Focus on the practice, not performance. We talked about this last week. This is a practice, something we put our hands to and we cultivate. You might not be good at it all the front. I'm terrible at this. It's so foreign to me. But the last thing is ask yourself the Elijah question every day. So we're going to send out these practices that's centered on silence, solitude, prayer, scripture. But then there's space this week to ask this question on Monday. When you get up or when you put your head down, whenever that space is for you, just ask the question. Where are you, Drake? Where am I? I want to pray for us and then we're going to sing together. You bow your heads with me and close your eyes just for a moment. This is a moment of privacy and a moment of uh, just reflecting personally on maybe what God's done in your own heart and soul. And I don't know what you walked in with in, in your bucket today, but I want you to know that God knows everything in that bucket. He loves you. He sees you. He's for you. And the things that you don't want in there, I bet he doesn't want either. <laughs> but before we press into the practices this week, I just want to invite you into the reality that this practice carries little value outside of our relationship with Jesus. That Jesus made a way into a relationship with God. That if you're not a follower of Jesus specifically in the room, I want you to know that Jesus gave his life in our place for our sin, for everything in our bucket that's ever been, that's ever been poured out, that's ever been put in by somebody else. Jesus gave his life for all of that. He died, he rose again to forgive us, to save us, to set us free so we could be adopted into the family of God. We could have new life and abundant life, and it starts by trusting in him. And if you've never taken a step to trust in Jesus, I want you to know it all starts there. And from there, it's a journey. Some of you, you've been following Jesus for a minute or for a long time. We have resources for you. There's journals and Bibles in the lobby. Maybe the next step for you is getting baptized and celebrating externally your relationship with Jesus in this process. Maybe it's signing up for a city group because in just a few, we're going to start walking through these disciplines together when they kick off. I don't know what it is for you, but whatever God puts on your heart and mind this morning, would you just take a posture of surrender with me and say yes. You can have access to everything in my bucket. 
I'm going to get along with you. I'm going to be quiet, even if it's hard. So Jesus, we give you this space right now. We ask that through the next two songs, you speak to us, you move us, you give us action steps, you give us things to be obedient in. You flood us with your grace and your mercy. You fill us with your spirit so that we can be the church in the world around us. It's in Jesus' name.